unlike our brokenness, is perfect. The priest, you, me, everybody else is broken. That's why our prayer is imperfect. We have sin. But when you come to Mass, this prayer is perfect. Because, as I'll get to consecration, it's God offering God to God. So we will get there, I promise. Now, after the priest washes his hands and he is, the sin is suspended so he can confect the Eucharist, he says, wash me, O Lord, from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Very important. Now, he also washes his hands for practical purpose. You know why? Because... Sometimes there's charcoal on his hands, right, from putting the incense. But do you know in the old days they used to bring up fruits and vegetables as part of the offering, and let's just say they had fertilizer on them. <laughs> so the priest also washes his hands. But most of all, it's a symbolic cleansing. All right, so let's keep going. Now, the priest, after he washes his hands, turns around and says what? Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice... And yours, it's not just the priest, may be acceptable to God the Almighty Father. And what do you say? May the Lord accept these sacrifices at your hands. Okay, this is the congregation, you, giving your approval. So now, the priest turns to the prayer over the gifts. And he goes back to the specific prayer of the day. If you're doing the sixth Sunday in ordinary time, may this oblation, O Lord, we pray, cleanse and renew us, and may it become for those who do your will the source of eternal reward through Christ our Lord. This is the prayer of the gift specific to the day or the feast or the liturgical time of year. All right. After this, what happens next? Oh, come on, Catholics. What happens next? The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. You notice a pattern here? We're saying it again. Now we're calling the Lord in closer. So I say the Lord be with you. And this is important. It comes from Ruth 2 verse 4. The Lord be with you. And you say with your spirit. Again, 2 Timothy 4.22. The Lord be with your spirit. Then I say... Lift up your hearts. <laughs> Stay with me on this. Lift up your hearts. All right. Why do I say lift up your hearts? Lamentations 3, verse 41. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. And you say... We lift them up to the Lord. Then I say, let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Okay. When I say, lift, let us give thanks to the Lord our God, this comes right from Colossians 1, verse 3. We always thank God. So let us give thanks to, our Lord, to the Lord our God. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord. It's right out of Scripture. And then you say, it is right and just. <clears throat> This comes from Proverbs. We even get in the Old Testament in here. Lamentations, Proverbs. <clears throat> when you say it is right and just, that's because Proverbs 21.3 says to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord. It is right and just. 
You don't even think about these words. They're right out of scripture. Now the priest goes and he reads the preface. And what is the preface? The preface starts out, it is truly right and just. Our duty and our salvation. Always and everywhere to give you thanks, Father most holy, through your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Now, what is going on here? This is the preface. Again, it applies to a specific feast. If it's a martyr or a feast of uh, Mary. But it's specific to the season or the feast. But it is thanksgiving. One of the four parts of every prayer that you make. You can remember with the little acronym ACTS. A-C-T-S. ACTS. Prayers you make should have those four things. A is adoration. Just adoring our Lord. Acknowledging He is God. C, contrition. I'm sorry, Lord, from the bottom of my heart for what I've done. T is thanksgiving. Now we're to the T in thanksgiving to God in the preface. Telling Him, thank you. It's a public announcement that we are thanking him for sending the gift of his son. It is the name of God's people. The priest is saying thank you and praises the father for the gift of the father giving us his son. Who are the prayers of the mass addressed to? God, okay. Which one? And I don't mean which one like there's three. Which person? The Father. Everybody thinks the Mass is addressed, the prayers are addressed to Jesus the Son. The prayers of the Mass are addressed to God the Father. And we'll explain that why. Now, in the preface, we are thanking God for the sending of his gifts. Listen again. It is always and everywhere to give you thanks, Father, most solely through your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. We're thanking him. Now, after the end of the preface, what, what, is, what, is, what do we pray? Now when I finish, and so with the angels and the saints, we declare your glory as with one voice, we acclaim. Thank you. Holy, holy, holy Lord God of hosts. Where does this come from? Isaiah 6, 3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Right out of scripture. Holy, holy, holy is from the song of the angels. In this vision of Isaiah in chapter 6. And it's also the cheers that they gave Jesus entering into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Hosanna. So we're doing this. Now, I don't have time to do all the Eucharistic prayers. So I'm just going to do Eucharistic prayer 2. The shortest one. But man... If I could have all day with you, and I could go through the Roman canon, which is Eucharistic prayer one, I tell you, some of you would become daily communicants. Because you would see, oh my, what this Mass has to offer. All right, so let's just look at Eucharistic prayer two. Eucharistic prayer two, the priest then, as he's now ready to enter in to the Eucharistic prayer, raises his hands, he extends his hands. And he looks up and he says, you are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Now, that comes right from 2 Maccabees 14.36, right in the Old Testament. So now, O Holy One, Lord of all holiness. We just read it. 
Keep undefiled forever this house that has been so recently purified. Next, the priest takes the risk and removes the pall. <laughs> and he extends his hands. What is this called? The epiclesis. Why the epiclesis? That's an invocation of the Holy Spirit. The priest is now calling down the Holy Spirit. The priest asked the Father to send the Spirit to change the bread and the wine into the body and blood of Christ by the ministry of the priest. Epiclesis means to call down. So now the priest says, Make holy, therefore, these gifts we pray. By sending down your spirit upon them like the dewfall. Now, where does that come from? Hmm. All right. That they may become the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the priest makes the sign of the cross. Important. Because John 6, verse 53. Most important part of the Bible, in my opinion. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say unto you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. This is why the priest says that they may become the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're basically saying what John 6 in the gospel says. Now, blessings are in two ways. You ever see a priest give a blessing? How does he give a blessing at the end of Mass? Thank you, right? You ever see a priest at the day he's ordained and people come and stand on the kneeler? How does he give a blessing? Does he not put his hands on your head? These are the two forms of blessing and you get them both in the epiclesis. The priest is laying his hands down, calling down upon the Holy Spirit. He blesses and then he gives the sign of the cross. The two forms of blessing. Laying on of hands or by making the sign of the cross during the Eucharistic prayer, the priest does both. The priest asked the Holy Spirit to transform these gifts into Christ. And actually later, the priest is going to ask the Holy Spirit to come down and transform you. Does anybody here know that there's a second epiclesis? There's a second calling down of the Holy Spirit. The first is to change this bread. And by the way, even though I'm saying the Eucharistic prayers, I'm not consecrating the bread or the wine because the priest has to have the intent. This is not an invalid... or. Um, um, what do you call it, an irreverent mass, because this is not a mass. I'm not confecting the Eucharist. I'm just reading the prayers, but no intent to consecrate, okay? So please don't be offended that Father's not treating reverently a consecrated host. It's not consecrated. But I later, the, in the mass, the priest will call down the Holy Spirit in a second epiclesis to transform you. Just like the bread and the wine, you are to be transformed. Are you ready? Okay, we'll see about that. <laughs> All right. After that, the priest reads, at the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion. Where does that come from? Go right to Luke 22, verse 3. Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And entered into his passion. This comes right from John 10, verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. That's the passion. All right? 
Now, we are entering into the most sacred time of human existence. At this time, the priest will take it, and he says he took the bread, giving thanks, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it. For this is my body, which will be given up for you. And he elevates it. Again, I have no intent to consecrate this host. But when the priest does this, what's going on? All right, let's look into this. Here's the reading of the Missal. And then I'm going to read you scripture. Start with Missal. Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of of me and he elevates the chalice at this moment the bread and the wine are being transformed into the body and blood of Christ you know I remember my father when I was a little kid every time the priest elevated the host my father who was not a really religious man as I said tough marine flew helicopters out of Da Nang man did we have discipline I never would talk to my mother the way that some of I see these kids talk to their parents today. If I did, you'd see a permanent handprint right there. <laughs> but my dad would lean over to me as a little kid and say, now is when Jesus enters into the host. Now, is my dad right? No. <laughs> I mean, A for effort. God bless him. But Jesus doesn't enter in. The bread and the wine become the body and blood of Christ. They're transformed in substance. They look still like bread. It still tastes like wine. These are the accidents, we call them. That's an a, a, a Aristotelian term. That means it looks like bread, it tastes like bread, it looks like wine, it tastes like wine. But the substance is no longer bread and wine. It's actually the body and blood of Christ. And on my DVD that you can get in about a month, I do a talk on Eucharistic miracles that it is actually heart, human heart tissue, the human blood that shows up on these bleeding hosts. They have no Y chromosome, which means no earthly father. They have living white blood cells, which means if I took blood out of any one of you, the living white blood cells would die in 30 to 60 minutes. Yet, these Eucharistic miracles with bleeding hosts have living white blood cells for years later. It defies science. Because it's truly the living Christ. Alright? And on this DVD, if you get it, I show a slide of some of these Eucharistic miracles. And so this is what's going on here. Now, I just read you the missile. Now let's read the Bible. Mark 14, 22. And as they were eating, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them, <clears throat> and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it. 
And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. That's scripture. Sounds pretty much like the missile, doesn't it? Or we go to Corinthians 11, verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said to them, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Non-Catholics will tell you that when Jesus said, do this in memory of me, he means that when we do it in the Mass today, we're doing it symbolically in honor of what he did. Untrue. The word remembrance in the ancient language is amnesis in the Greek. And as Christ uses it, it doesn't mean to remember the past. Amnesis means to make present the past for all eternity. And this is what the Mass does. The Mass makes present for all eternity this sacrifice. All right, now, this remembrance of Christ's passion, death, and resurrection is used how the Jewish people use it to celebrate Passover. It is not simply remembering or celebrating event of the past. It is actually making present a real event here and now that we can share into the Paschal mystery. And I'm going to explain to you in a minute that when you come to Mass, you're actually at Calvary. Not remembering it. All right, now, I'm going to go back to that line. It's in Mark, and we change it in the Mass. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many. In the Missal, we'll, which, um, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many. We used to, in the Mass, say for all, did we not? Why was it changed to many? Did Jesus die for all people who ever lived? Okay? Did Jesus die for everybody? Did Jesus redeem everybody? But will everybody be... Okay, so everybody's redeemed. Will everybody be saved? Okay. Some people will choose hell. God doesn't send anybody to hell. God, people choose it, right? So some people have chosen hell. Did Jesus still pour his blood out for them? Yes. So who are we talking about when we say he poured it out for many? Who's not included? Hitler? No. Hitler's included. Stalin? Mao? No, they're included. Jesus died for them. Who is he talking about when we went to the Gospel of Mark and changed it to be poured out for many? Who's the only person not included that Christ poured out his blood to redeem? Satan? No, we're talking about humanity. Mary? Uh-uh. He poured his blood out for Mary because she needed a savior. She needed a redeemer. Ah, I heard it. For himself. For himself. He's the only person that the blood did not have to spill for. For himself. So when Christ says this, people say, well, geez, it makes it sound like the Catholic Church is saying there's some who won't be saved. There's some you guys don't pray for. No, don't fall into that trap. We as Catholics believe Jesus did die for everybody. He shed his blood for everybody. Well, no, you don't. He says it right there for many. And you know who you many think it is? You Catholics. <laughs> That's who you think your many is. 
What you answer to that is say, no, that's for all of mankind. Oh, well, then it would say all. No, Jesus is the only one. He died for everybody else. This is very important. All right, now, the consecration. Through Christ's own words, we have transubstantiation. He's changing the bread and the wine of the body blood. Now, at the moment of consecration, what happens? A bell is rung, right? Now, do the bells have to be rung? No, that's a tradition from the extraordinary form when the priest was facing the other way and people couldn't even say see when he was sometimes elevating the host. So they rang the bells so that you wouldn't know what part of the mass they were in. Now, God bless, I go to the um, assisted living center, Carmelite Living Center, up where I live, and it's beautiful. And I was doing mass there, and God bless Emma. <laughs> and I'm elevating the host and all these most precious people at this nursing home. And please, if you have relatives in the nursing homes, they are so hurting because they feel, they asked me about euthanasia, assisted suicide, because they feel their burdens. Please don't ever make your loved ones feel like burdens. You know their suffering is more powerful than an atomic bomb. Their suffering offered up could save all of us in this room. One ounce of suffering from one little precious lady can offer up salvation for all of us here. And anyway, the moment came, and I elevated the host, and they rang the bell, ding, 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 and Emma yells, would somebody please answer that? <laughs> you don't think Jesus loves that? Now, don't be so tight where you would say, that was irreverent. God bless her. God bless her. And this is what we have, the gift. Now, this is what's going on. So now, at this, the bells, were, we kept them in as tradition. They're not needed, but we have them. Now, the next, what happens after this? The memorial acclamation. What is the memorial acclamation? The mystery of faith. And we could use one of many. I'll just pick one here. Um, <clears throat> when we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim your death, O Lord, until you come again. I just picked one of them. Take a guess. You got it. Scriptural. 1 Corinthians verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim your death. We proclaim your death, O Lord, until you come again. It's right out of scripture. It's, it's right there. Now the priest then goes on. Alright. Therefore as we celebrate. Now I'm beginning the final part of the Eucharistic prayer too. Therefore as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection. We offer you Lord the bread of life and the chalice of salvation. Again right out of scripture. John 6 verse 51. I am the living bread which comes down from heaven. If he eats this bread, he will live forever. So we just said in the missal is the bread of life and the chalice of salvation. Salvation means you'll live forever. Then the priest reads, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Where does that come from? Matthew 4, verse 11. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and ministered to him. 
This is very important. The missile says we are ministering to him. Scripture says the angels minister to him. This is because who is created higher? Man or angel? Nah, that was a split decision. Who's created higher? <coughs> the man or the angel? No. Not man. The angel is created higher than man. By nature, he has a superior intellect. He doesn't get sick. He's not constrained by space and time. By nature, the angel is above man. This is why Satan had such a problem. Satan didn't have a problem with God until God announced he's going to become one of these lowly creatures called man. Because man is below the angel. By nature. But by grace. What grace? The incarnation and the immaculate conception. Man was elevated above the angel. How nuts. How crazy a concept. That because we sinned, we were, you know, in the garden, everything was fine. We had preternatural gifts. Adam and Eve were fine. They didn't get sick. They didn't yell at each other. He asked for directions. <laughs> she didn't backseat drive. Nobody had a problem with anything, but Adam and Eve didn't share in the divine life of God. Then after they sinned, Augustine said, oh, happy fault. What does that mean? That means that actually God took us as these broken creatures and repaired us and made us better than we were before. You remember the six million dollar man? Steve Austin, astronaut. A man barely alive. This was Adam and Eve. Men, women, barely alive. But we can rebuild him. Better, stronger, faster. Remember the six million dollar man? We're beyond the six million dollar man. We've been redeemed. Hallelujah. And, and God, God elevated us above the angel. So now we share in the divine life of God. This is unheard of for the angels. The angels were in awe. And a third of them said, no way. I'm not accepting this. And a third of the angels fell. Tradition says, why a third? Why not two-thirds? Why not a fourth? Why not one-eighth? Why a third? Because tradition says that a third of the angels were dedicated to adoring the Father. A third of the angels are dedicated to adoring the Son. And a third of the angels are dedicated to adoring the Holy Spirit. Guess what third fell? The Son. Because the son was going to lower himself to become one of these lowly creatures. This is why our faith is so different than everybody else. Oh, Father, it doesn't matter what you are. I'm converting to Islam. Or I really, the Jews were the original people. Yeah, that's all true. But no other religion has a God. And I know the church walks this finely. But sorry, the God of Islam, Allah, is not our God. People try to say it's the same God, the God of Abraham. No, because the God of Islam would never, ever, ever condescend 
to come down to be lowly creature called man. He's so transcendent to them that he would never stoop down to become a lowly creature like us. Only we believe this, and it's the truth. And amen for that, because that is what sets us apart from every other religion. I'm not trying to lower other religions, I'm trying to elevate ours to the place it belongs. So, in this faith we have so much. Alright, let's keep going, I know I'm running way behind. Alright, the priest, therefore, as we celebrate... See, that's Jesus calling somebody's cell phone to say, listen up. Listen. Okay. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation. I'm sorry, I already read that. Giving thanks. Okay, we talked about ministering. Okay. The devil left him, and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. Now we minister to him. Because God has elevated us into sharing the divine life of God. And yet we can't even come here? Crazy. Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. All right. Where does that come from? Same thing. 1 Corinthians 10, chapter 16. We talk about partaking of the body and blood of Christ. What does that say? Participation in the blood of Christ. It says it right in Scripture. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the participation of the blood of Christ? I'm reading from Scripture now. The bread which we break, is it not a participation of the body of Christ? I just read in the Missal, partaking in the body and blood of Christ. Right out of scripture. Then it says, we are gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Where does that come from? Same passage. Because there is one bread, we are many. We who are many are one body. There it is. We are gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. It's right out of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. Now, this is the second epiclesis. This is where the people are transformed and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, let's keep going. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world and bring her to the fullness of charity. Together with Francis, our Pope, and our Bishop, and all the clergy. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. So faith, hope, and love abide, and the greatest of these is love. So the missile says the fullness of charity. Scripture says the best is charity, love. All right. We pray for the church that she will be filled with love. All right. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection and all who have died in your mercy. Where does that come from? 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. So right there, back to the missile. Who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection. Go back to scripture. Christ has been raised for the dead for the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Again, the missile says... For our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep. The scripture says, Christ is resurrected for those who have fallen asleep. Jeez, oh peace. Welcome into the light of your face. This is the missile. Go to Psalm 31, verse 15. Let thy face shine on thy servant. We just said, welcome them into the light of your face. Scripture says, let the face, your, thy face shine on thy servant. 
Have mercy on us all, we pray, that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with the Blessed Apostles, and the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages. All right, let's go to Luke chapter 1, verse 42. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of the womb. Who is it that, why is it this granted to me that the Mother of my Lord? So people who hear this in the Mass, we pray that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, Elizabeth says... To Mary, how is it that the mother of my Lord, we're not making this up, we're pulling it right out of scripture. We are asking the saints to pray for us. This has been done since the beginning of apostles' time. All right, wrapping up here. We may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life and may praise and glorify you through your son Jesus Christ. All right, Romans 8, verse 16. We are the children of God, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ. Again, the missile says, we may merit to be co-heirs. Here it says, we are heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ. Then the missile goes on to say that we may praise and glorify you through your son, Jesus Christ. What does Romans 8 say? That we may suffer with him in order that we may be also glorified with him. This entire Mass is scriptural. The entire thing. Now, what happens as we finish by saying, may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Now what happens? Thank you. What's that called? Aha, I heard it. The concluding doxology. You want to know the high point of the Mass? Many say the consecration. That's a great answer. It's all really tied to it. But Maximilian Kolbe would tell you the uh, high point of the Mass is actually receiving Holy Communion. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm yelling, but I'm very passionate about this subject. <laughs> okay. But if you talk to Father Mike Gately and many theologians, you know what they'll tell you the high point of the Mass is? The concluding doxology. Through him, and with him, and in him. O God, almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. This is God offering God to God. God the Holy Spirit, through his power, God the Son, is being offered to God the Father in atonement for our sins and the sins of the whole world. This is critically important. Our whole Mass, Thomas Aquinas says, or our whole faith, can be summarized in a circle. All comes from God and all will return to God. I'm going to give you four years of seminary in four minutes. All comes from God. We were all created by God, the first great act of mercy, according to Catherine of Siena. Catherine of Siena says there's three great acts of God's mercy. The first is creation. Now, between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who do we normally attribute creation to? The Father. All right, so stay with me. Here's God, the eternal Trinity, forever happy in heaven. God makes a decision for creation. So, the first great act of mercy from the first person of the Trinity, creation. Now, unfortunately, it took us all the 10 minutes to get broken. In 10 minutes, we got broken in the garden of Adam and Eve. 
In the Garden of Adam and Eve, we got broke. So in Genesis 3.15, God makes a promise. Two things. The gift, excuse me, the promise of a savior and the gift of a mother. So, after the first great act of mercy, creation, we got broken. The next great act of mercy, redemption. Jesus came down and redeemed us. Now, we got broken, but we've been repaired. But you ever send your car off to the repair shop? Okay. Where I'm from, Detroit, we created the car. Creation. You drove it for 10 minutes and broke it. So in came the repairman. The repairman fixed it. Now it isn't fixed totally until that repairman takes it back to you. This is what's going on in the mass. We take the first great act of mercy creation. Mankind got broken. The second great act of mercy redemption by who? The second person of the Trinity came and fixed us. Now in the third and the final and the greatest act of mercy, guess who? The Holy Spirit is taking us back to God the Father from where we came for all eternity. <coughs> this is the Mass. Where, <clears throat> I kind of just gave you the answer. If we look at this third great act of mercy, what's it called? Sanctification or justification. I ask all the time to people, where does this happen? When does this happen? People say our baptism. Yeah, it says in the Bible at our baptism we're divinized. We're sanctified or justified. And that's Jesus calling again to say make sure we pay attention. Okay? Now, in that third and great act of mercy called sanctification or divinization, we are being returned to God the Father better than where were we before. Remember the $6 million man? He was just a man before he got broken. Then after they made him the $6 million man, he ran 60 miles an hour. He could hear from 60 miles away. He was better. We were redeemed. We were made better. So when we are taken back to God the Father, we share in the divine life of God in a way we never had before. This, I ask, where does it happen? Some people say baptism. Yes. Some people say at your death. The beatific vision, yes. But where does it happen every minute of every day? The Mass. Right here at the Mass. This is what's going on when that priest raises that pallet, uh, patent in the chalice. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours. This is God offering God to God. The Holy Spirit is offering God the Son back to God the Father in atonement for our sins and the sins of the whole world. We have been created. All of creation is present at the Mass, even if your loved ones aren't here. All of creation is present at the Mass. Why? Because Pope Benedict says in Spirit of the Liturgy, the roof of the church when you come to Mass opens up. The angels and the saints ascend and descend. Heaven and earth are united in a way like no other time at the Mass. And at the Mass, heaven and earth are united and we become one. We then share in this special nature of divine love of God. And, and, and all of creation is present because this is eternally present, the sacrifice of the Son. Now, 
what's happening is all of creation is present. Now, in this altar, did I not tell you it is a meal and a cross, right? When we are redeemed, that is happening at the Mass. Why? How? All right, I got a question for you. Why did Jesus die on the cross? He loves us, yes, but he could have loved you from heaven. He's God. Our sins, true. But he's God. Well, to forgive us, I guess. Yes, this is true, but he could have forgiven your sins from heaven. He's God. Why did he die on the cross? Those are all true. Okay, how? Why for our salvation? Why? All right, conquered death. Why did he have to conquer death? Okay, guys, the penalty for sin is death. When you sin or I sin, we deserve to die. This is what it is at the Mass. We are there as Christ is paying our penalty for sin. When you sin or I sin, since the beginning, God has established it. Why? Because sin is the worst crime you could ever commit. And why is it the worst crime you could ever commit? Because it's a crime against God. And so we, when we sin, we commit a crime against God. We deserve to die. We, de we deserve eternal death. What is eternal death? Hell. We deserve to die. Somebody's got to die. But instead, the Father sent his Son to take our place. Jesus died in our place. So now, dying in our place, we don't owe back our eternal life in, in, in death, because he paid it. Then after he paid it, and he went through it, then he conquered it, so that he could come back and bring us with him. That's what's happening in the Mass. <laughs> God, God couldn't give us a greater gift. This is what's happening. And we don't see it. We don't get it. And this is the supercharged moment of the Mass. You know, when I look at this, as Christ died on the cross for us, the Mass is a nuptial relationship. It is a marriage. Now, we say in our Catholic faith, who is the bridegroom? First of all, we call the Mass a wedding. The Mass is a wedding. But who's the groom? Jesus. Who's the bride? The church. Who's the church? Us, okay, so when you come forward, when you come up this aisle, you are the bride. You are the bride, and in any Catholic wedding, who's waiting for the bride at the altar? The groom. <clears throat> who's waiting for you when you, okay, let's go back to your Catholic wedding. When you were married in the Catholic church, did you come up the aisle And is that how you took the hand of your spouse? When you received your spouse's hand, when you came up this altar, or this aisle, you came up so beautiful, so cleansed, you were dressed in white, pure, ready to receive your groom. Your groom was there at the altar. And you reached out your hand, brides. And you reached out your hand. And in the most loving way, your groom entered into your hand. And that night it was consummated. The groom entered into you, the bride. The two became one. The groom physically entered into you, the bride, on the wedding night. It was consummated. 
You come up this altar, uh, this aisle. You are the bride who's waiting for you here. The groom. Who's the groom? Jesus. You're the bride. And the groom physically enters into you the bride. And it's consummated. That's what the Mass is. That's what the book of Revelation is about. It's not about the rapture of the Antichrist. It's about this, this wedding. And the Mass is Christ in union with his bride. And when you come up here, this groom is waiting to unite with you. Just like on your wedding day. But again, we just come strolling and stomping up there. One woman comes with knit gloves on and she wants to receive Holy Communion in her hand. And I said, ma'am, please, I, I, receive on the tongue or remove the gloves. She was so angry with me. I'm not going to put Christ with a bunch of particles in your knit glove. We can't do that. The priest is standing in the person of Christ. This is why the, 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 the priest has to be a man. It has nothing to do with sexism. It's because Christ was a man and the priest is as Christ at the altar. Despite his brokenness, the church is feminine. Christ is masculine. That's why we have the male priest because the nuptial. I'm sorry, but this was said to me once by a priest. He said the church doesn't have the authority to ordain women, not because it's sexist, but because the spouse is feminine. If you have a feminine priest, now you have lesbianism. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I'm not trying to make light of that. But the priest is in the person of Christ. Christ was masculine. His bride is feminine. That's the union. And this is what we don't understand. In fact, it's not because the church is sexist. A higher calling than a diocesan priest is a cloistered nun. <clears throat> not talking about the Eucharist or they confect the sacraments, but in a way of life. So the church is not, is not a, a, a sexist organization. It's just this is how God set it up. Men and women, I'm sorry, I don't care what some crazy report says. Men and women are equal but different. And people are confusing that today. A whole nother topic. All right. So I said at consecration, the angels come forward. They kneel around the altar and they're carrying in their hands vessels. Guess what is in those vessels? What is in those vessels? Your guardian angel comes forward. You all got one guardian angel. Priests have two guardian angels. Because we need them. We need them. <laughs> and and the, the angels come forward. And the angels kneel around the altar. And they're holding the vessels. And guess what's in those vessels? What you put into it. Father, I don't get anything out of the Mass. The Mass isn't about what you get out of it. It's not about your entertainment. Like I said, I'm not going to ride a unicycle and juggle. The Mass is about what you give to it. It's your worship. This is why religion falls under the virtue of justice. It's giving God his due. What is his due? We worship him. And so in those vessels that the angels bring forward are what you put into them. Your, your joys, your sorrows, your pains, your sufferings. We put them forward. And this is why your, your guardian angel, don't make your guardian angel the sad guardian angel with nothing in his vessel. Fill it with your joys and your sorrows. All right, I'm getting close to finishing here. All right, all right. Now, this is important. Now we're to the communion rite. All right, now first of all, does everybody, does this make sense? Yeah. 
Okay, because, yeah. This makes sense because this is our Catholic faith. Everybody says, well, you know, again, I go back to this. Oh, it doesn't matter what religion you are. Yes, this is the religion Christ established. Despite our brokenness, this is the religion God gave us. And this is how he told us to worship him. Who are we to tell God, you know, God, I get that you want me to worship you this way. But I've decided that I'm going to worship you at home on the way to the football game. And, 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 and that's how I'm going to worship you. That's fine. Give praise and glory to God. That's your own way. God bless you. But you need to also do the way he gave you. Which is to come here to celebrate this sacrifice of the mass. All right. Now, we then begin what's called the communion rite. At the communion rite, we begin with the Our Father. Now, where is the Our Father? Why do we pray? It comes right out of Matthew 6, chapter 6, verse 9. I wish I could do it, but I, I was going to go through the whole Our Father, but I can't. The Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The whole thing is verbatim in Scripture. Now, do you go like this during the Our Father? No! That's an Iran's priestly position. Don't do that. That is, it's not forbidden by the church for the laity, but it's forbidden for deacons. And so I carry that on to the laity. So when we say the Our Father, we are not praying alone, but with the whole church and the saints because he's our Father. That makes us brothers and sisters. All right, now, the priest, after the Our Father, says, Deliver us, Lord, we pray from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days. That by the help of your mercy we be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Titus 2, verse 13, awaiting the blessed hope and the appearing in glory of our great God and Lord Savior Jesus Christ. Wow. Right there it is for you. All right. Last couple pages, two pages left. Then the priest says, Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles... Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. This is one of the few times in all of the missal the prayer is addressed to Jesus. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Where does that come from? John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Right out of scripture. Then, the peace of the Lord be with you always. And with your spirit. John 20, 19, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. We're taking right the words from Christ. You say, with your spirit. And I say, let us offer each other the sign of peace. The priest doesn't have to do that. Now, the kiss of peace is at the discretion of the priest. The first word Jesus spoke to the apostles after he rose from the dead was what? Peace. This was to take away any fear and anxiety. Satan has three tools today. Pride, fear, and confusion. And right now, he's confusing us so bad within the church, within our families, this transgenderism, gay marriage, all this stuff. That causes fear. Because I'm a fear if somebody thinks that I'm a homophobe. I'm in fear because of all this homophobic. I, 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 I'm confused, so I fear. And when I fear, I don't trust God. And when I don't trust him, I trust who? Myself. That's the ultimate sin, pride. 
So don't fall into this trap. This is what Satan wants you to fall into. All right. So when we approach Holy Communion, we need to shed our fears and turn to each other for reconciliation. Next is what we call the fraction rite. So the priest comes, right? And he breaks the host. And he breaks the host. And what does he do? He places a small piece of the host into the chalice. Does he not? All right. Why? This is showing the uniting of Christ's body and blood. The priest, when he does that, says, May this mingling of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ bring eternal life to us who receive it. This is important because, as some have explained, this is a sign of Christ's resurrection. A body without blood is dead. But when Christ's body is reunited with his blood, he is risen. So this is the reuniting. Okay, meanwhile, the priest says, Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Three times to grant us peace. It's the third time. Where does this come from? Again, in the Bible, the lamb was the principal animal of sacrifice. Listen to this, John 1, 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Wow. Then the priest elevates the host and says what? Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. This comes right from Revelation 19.9. Blessed are they who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Wow. Then what do you say? Do you realize you just read Matthew 8.8? 8? Lord, I am not worthy to have you enter under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. You just read Matthew 8.8. 8. The priest then says, may the body and blood of Christ keep me safe for eternal life. And he consumes the host. Last page. <laughs> Aren't you happy? You're just like at the end of Mass. It's almost over. <laughs> no! Alright. Now, how do we receive Holy Communion? Do you come up? Please don't do this. That drives, I'm supposed to be so reverent, and it drives me crazy. <laughs> no. You are to receive Holy Communion is to come forward. You bow your head at the waist, and you come forward either in the United States, around the world, the preferred way, the, the norm is on the tongue. But in the United States, an indult was given by the USCCB to receive in the hand. Do not pull it out of my hand. Do not stick out one hand. You come with the hand on top, your other hand on the bottom. It is placed in your hand, and then you receive Holy Communion. Okay. While the norm is to receive on the tongue, as I said, an indult was given to receive... In the hand. You are not sinning by receiving in the hand. Because the bishops told you you could do it. So you're off the hook. But any of us here ever hear of Maria Sima? She's a great mystic, right? She in her work, get us out of here. 
talking about the souls in purgatory, you know what she said? She said that the bishops who approved receiving in the hand will have to remain in purgatory until the rule is changed. <laughs> I'm not saying that this is the church position. Just telling you what she said. This is private revelation. And if you receive in the hand, you are not being irreverent if you do it reverently because you are allowed to receive in the hand. Now, the germ, the general instruction of the Roman Missal, 160, says the norm is to receive standing. But can you kneel? Yes. No priest can deny you communion if you kneel. I've seen this happen. Now, when he receives, when you receive, go back to your pew. Don't go running out the door. Can't you stop and say thank you? Remember the scripture where Jesus healed ten lepers? Nine of them ran out the door. One came back and thanked him. Be that one. Don't go running out the door. Come back and thank him. This is so important. Then the priest, after Holy Communion, has, is, purifies the vessels and he says, What has passed our lips is food, O Lord. We may, may we possess impurity of heart. He cleanses the vessels and he places them properly so he will clean them. The host is consumed. The patent is, um, is, is purified. The corporal is folded up to capture any particles. The pall is placed. This is called the purificator. This is to wipe the chalice after receiving the precious blood. So the purificator is used. It's placed. The pall over it. The corporal over it. This is given to the server. And we sit back down, and now we are at the end of Mass. The prayer relates to a specific, excuse me, a moment of silence first. Then the priest says what? Let us pray. This is called the prayer after communion. It reflects a specific season or feast day, like the collect. All right? Then he reads the prayer. Now we enter into the concluding rites. And there, there's, if there's any announcements... They might come to the ambo, right, have any announcements. Um, there might be a blessing or a greeting if there's some groups there. Then how does the priest finish the Mass? The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Then he says, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why? Matthew 28, verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Notice he said, go, and then he said, bless them. This, in scripture, a blessing has always meant a communication of divine breath and life. It is meant to give spiritual strength to transform you from your doldrums into one who is blessed. And then you say what? Amen. Amen. I believe. Then the priest gives you the dismissal. This is the end, and he could do one of four ways. Go in peace. That comes from Luke 7, verse 50. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Can you get anything more better than that? Your faith has just saved you. Go in peace. Or he could say, go and announce the gospel of the Lord. Or go forth, the mass is ended. Or whatever he says. But you say, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for his amazing gifts. 2 Corinthians 9, 15. 
Quote, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gifts. Huh. So then the Latin is ite misse est. Go. She, the church, is being sent. And you are being sent. Why? Because the mass, the word mass, comes from, and the missile comes from mass, which means dismissal, which is the form that we get from the word mission. This is powerful. So the parable of talents, Jesus said, go and share your gifts and the graces that you have received. You have just received a huge amount of grace from this mass. Go and share it. That's the purpose of the mass. For you to be transformed, just like the bread and the wine, transformed into Christ, and then to be sent out on a mission. Go, be sent on a mission. Like the apostles. You know the word goodbye? The word goodbye means God be with you. Amen? Hallelujah. Thank you, everybody. Thank you very, very much. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Are you a Marian Helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.